Are you ready to start living richer? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Live Richer podcast, hosted by Jamie Catmull, a podcast created for people to challenge and manage their ideas of wealth, culture, and money across the world, bringing you the best personal finance advice to make more, save more, and live richer. Now, here's your host, Jamie Catmull. Hi, this is Jamie Catmull, and I'm here with Apollo Ono today. He's an eight-time medalist in the Olympics. He's also the most decorated winter Olympian for the United States. He's not only just an Olympic athlete, he's also a businessman, an entrepreneur, an author, and a motivational speaker. He's an amazing person, and I'm super excited to have Apollo here today. Apollo, how are you doing? I'm good, Jamie. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here, especially with the Olympics upon us and the whole Olympic spirit in the air. I would love to have you answer a question for me regarding Olympic athletes and some of the financial struggles that they may face and even physical struggles that they have that a lot of people don't know about. And I was wondering if you can maybe give me a personal experience when it, when it happened with you and maybe other athletes. Sure. Um so probably the, the most common misconception around the Olympic space is that it is kind of funded and subsidized by the government. Um, Olympic athletes are, in every instance, every quad, every four years, um, <clears throat> having to go out and effectively find both local and national sponsors to underwrite their you know, entire kind of process of making an Olympic team. Uh, if they're able to win and have a consistent uh, result track record, then I think that, you know, typically NBC shines the spotlight on, on them and, and they're, you know, they're in a sport maybe that gets a lot more airtime, so to speak, like a skiing or a swimming or a track and field or even a gymnastics. And what can, what that can do is it, it just elevates the opportunity for those specific athletes to go and get, um, sponsors. So from a financial perspective, you're still talking about, I would say 1% of all of the athletes in the U S Olympic space probably generate 99% of the money. And so the remainder of the 99% of the athletes that are in existence make little to no money um, every single year. And in fact, are probably in debt anywhere from, I think the number back then was like 27 to $33,000 per year, up to $37,000 per year that they they accrue in, in just expenses that are either, you know, kind of taken on the shoulders of parents and local supporters or some of the athletes have to go and get actual jobs on the side to fill their Olympic dreams. Now, again, some of that has changed since I was kind of training full time um, with the commercialization of social and access to kind of expanding upon your brand, so to speak. So that's been challenging. On the mental side, uh, that's an entirely different conversation. The transition for athletes going beyond the Olympic space into what's next and how they can reinvent has always been somewhat of a, a challenge. But I think more importantly, um, it's the internal struggles associated with that weight of gold that is probably the most overlooked. At least it has been prior to athletes speaking out around the trials, tribulations, and micro traumas that occur um, on their road to Olympic glory and being conditioned in a society, I think, that has taught all of us to just stick to what you do best, You know, hide your emotion, wear the poker face of life, and still go out there and perform regardless of how you feel. And while there can be tremendous assets and strength in that, 
I think it really just boils down to kind of barricading um, and imprisoning these emotions that will probably, you know, be relived later on in life, which I think we've seen many times. And so with the advent of the society as a whole being much more open to communicating around mental health, people going through struggles, psychological, physical, et cetera, financial, um, they're really all tied in many different areas, but also having the athletes being very outspoken about them and also showing that vulnerability. So to boil it down, I think what's happening is there's a redefinition around what we believe to be a champion, how we believe and identify as someone who is strong, and can we correlate or can we actually have the balance between someone who is vulnerable, has empathy, but also is uh, powerful and strong in the same instance. So that's been, uh, I think, the conundrum, right? I mean, I, I grew up in a society where I think, um, and, and I know I'm rambling here, but I, I, <laughs> where the conditioning as a whole was always, you know, just like, it doesn't really matter what you feel like as, as long as you perform. You know, in your book, um, it just came out, Hard Pivot, there's a point where you said you had had all this money from the first Olympics and you invested it in with some people and you lost everything, but you were afraid to tell anyone. And there you were one minute riding, I believe it says on private jets. And the next minute you were riding your bike to um, practice. And I, I was just <laughs> thinking about all the things you were saying right now. And I was like, here you were having this huge financial struggle and you really couldn't talk to anyone about it. And you're out there suffering it alone. And I just was wondering, how were you able to bounce back from that? And what advice would you give for other people that maybe have experienced that? I think people even outside sports and things have times in their life where they maybe listen to someone and they lose everything. And a lot of people can't bounce back, but you were able to. And I just would love to see and know how you did that. Well, look, I, I think first and foremost, everyone has the ability to bounce back. Uh, we have no idea what the outcome and result will actually be. Uh, and I think that life throws us these, you know, circumstances and curveballs, either by our own default and decision-making process of right or wrong or misstep or misguidance, whatever that might be. In the end, it doesn't really matter. You can't change those decisions. And so I think the one thing that I have learned is you have a choice. And that choice, no matter what the result is that you're facing, whether it's loss financially, whether it's love, whether it's someone deeply close to you, whatever that might be that you feel that life has stopped and is no longer important. Um, I've seen it many times again and again where you are faced with a choice and your choice is to either continue on to pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, recalibrate and refocus and effectively get back on the horse or you can stew in your own soup of like sorrow and bitterness. And yes, like is that is a part of that healthy and required? Probably, probably at times where you need to mourn and need to go through these processes of, of psychological loss and, and being angry at yourself or others. But then there comes a point in time where the longer you continue stalls your actual progress in turning that ship around. And so, you know, for someone like myself that you know, after my first Olympics, I had a, I had immense like this like wild like overnight success, and for the first time in my life, I had like real money, and then to have kind of reinvested that stuff into people who both I trusted and I loved and I thought that were my friends, 
um, to have them, you know, basically use that um, against me um, in a way that was, you know, pretty devastating was a really, really kind of tough lesson to, to eat and swallow. And so I remember those times riding my bike to and from the ice rink. And by the way, like the, the, you know, riding my bike 45 minutes to and from the ice rink every single day on top of the three hour workout or four hour workout that I was doing there compounds a time. And so what I told myself, Jamie, was shit, like I'm just going to train harder than I'm just going to actually use this as an asset. And so for I think eight months I decided or something to basically compound all of the gas that I would save um, that would go into me doing that. And instead tried to make myself believe that this was going to establish such a powerful aerobic base that I was effectively working out like four times as much in terms of volume than any of my other teammates at the end of every single week. And so my body adapted as all of us do. You will always adapt either up or down in your life. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that if you're seeking progress and growth, just like your body's natural instincts, like if you lift weights and you've got these calluses on your hands that are basically fortifying and strengthening to, to protect yourself from injury, your body and mind do the same thing. And I, I you know, I, I, back then I was always reverting back to this quote by Douglas Malick, this, this poem, called Good Timber. I'm not sure, Jamie, if you're familiar with this. I am. This, this, but it's it's like one of the most important to me. I, I feel like I go back to this at least once a month where it's just this discussion of life and how life and individuals and people, we, we go through hard times. We go through challenging moments. And it is in those challenging moments, I think, that we can truly shine to show not only our purpose, our alignment with what we believe, but also perseverance to go on beyond what we think sometimes is possible. And it's really hard, um, especially when you're trying to break habits or break into a new realm of what you want to transition to. Um, it's really, really tough. Well, do you think, one thing, I, reading your book, I noticed your dad coming in, coming to the United States at 17 as an immigrant, not being able to speak English and to be able to create the life he's created for you guys and himself is pretty amazing. And through the struggles you guys had, I think there was one part in the story where it talked about he left you home sleeping while he went to the place that he had to sell Correct. I mean, you tell you can tell the story if you want, Apollo, about how he had to go in there and get all the fixtures and get everything he possibly could out of there so that he could save that, sell those pieces to make money off them to make sure you and him were okay. I mean, I would suggest people if you haven't read this, the book, you should read it. It's great. And I was just thinking about all that. It had to help you to know that when things get bad, you can you can get back up. You just have to keep, dig deep. You got to have grit, like you talk about in the book. And I thought maybe that came yeah. from your dad a little bit, getting that grit to keep going and to push on. Uh, I'm incredibly grateful to, to have like my father as that figure who has just been that beacon of relentless being so stoic, regardless of what life has thrown at him. You know, my father came to this country. He could not speak a word of English. He came at, in a time where... You know, Americans were not the most welcoming of people who looked like they were Asian. And my dad, who is is always just wanting to live the Americana dream, that's all he ever wanted was to be accepted uh, and to survive here. And 
my dad never had like massive aspirations to be like wildly financially successful. But I think what he did have was this belief that he wanted to live a very well-fulfilled life. And his example shown to me, and when I was born, that was his new purpose. That was his new passion. It was no longer about his career cutting hair. It was about, okay, I'm about to lose my business. I need to basically scrap every single thing that I have and get all those things because every penny counts. And all of this is gonna go towards helping provide food on the table for the family, which was me. And my dad, like, you know, he didn't know how to raise this like rambunctious, crazy ADHD kid who like didn't really know what was going on. All he knew was that he had to figure out ways to survive. And so did he sacrifice sleep? Yes. Did he sacrifice health? Yes. He did all these things, as do many, many parents do in this country because of this kind of selflessness that exists around doing something for the purpose and the benefit of others. And so my dad tells a story so eloquently of feeling like he is almost maniacal, right? He has basically 12 hours of time in which would require typically like a construction crew to come in and rip down all these lights and ceilings and, and furniture and then haul them out and then store them. He did this all by himself um, in this like old, you know, um, basically like strip shopping mall, which was his, his like barbershop. And so I, the story from that just gives me this belief and also recognition and hopefully reminder to everyone who's facing change and struggle and calamity in some capacity and, and look them in the eye and say like, look, this isn't it. This is actually perhaps a closing of one chapter, but the beginning of another. And so you have to see it through. You have to own it, even when it's painful, even when it sucks and the taste is horrible. Deal with it. Maximize going through that process. And by the way, you sometimes will have to go through this alone, but you also will have times when there's people who will listen to you and there's people who have been through this before and they have too survived in ways and then eventually thrived. And so that's my whole purpose for this book is to remind people of that potential that exists, this reservoir that has been untapped in the past that I want them to reach back down inside of themselves and say like, okay, I have so much more to give. And it goes beyond sports science. It goes beyond other elements. And it's always you see this man or woman on fire that somehow bounces back from the most obscene of odds. That is the human experience. So, you know, I saw my father go through that. I have been through it in my own life, both on the sport and out. And I've seen countless other stories that of people who all over the planet in all different career paths, servicemen, servicewomen, people in the military, people who are in the communities, people who are doctors, people who are single moms, single parent households, every iteration possible. There's always a way through. And um, that's what like lights me up is when I hear those stories. Yeah. And in the book, I think one of the great things about it is you get people actual things that they can do by writing in the journal, the gratitude journal. I thought that was a great deal to when you're going through those hard times, if you could look back on the things you write down that you could be grateful for. That was pretty awesome idea there that you put in the book. I loved that. I really did. And I, another story that I would love you to share is the time when you were, I believe it was in the Salt Lake City, um, two, was it 2006 Olympics when you were on the, when the big crash happened. And if you could kind of talk about that and about how you got back up 
and you were able to still get that medal after that horrible crash and what you learned from that. I'd love for you to share that today. I'm sorry, you said the, the 2002 Olympics. Yeah, 2002. Yeah, so sorry, it, I said 2006, but I meant 2002. No, it, it's okay. Uh, it, in my first Olympic Games, I was I, I always joke. I say I was 19 going on 15 um, in terms of like my personal development, but I was favored to win this thousand meters. It was my first final. I was a mere seconds from uh, winning the race. I was in first, and another athlete had crashed into me. Um, the context of this race was interesting because I was favored. I was so close to winning. I was knocked down at the last possible second. I scrambled to my feet and I threw my skates across the finish line to capture silver. Um, and it was very easy and very natural, I think, to kind of go in my own head and feel like it had been ripped from my hands and it was stolen from me versus being appreciative and grateful to have even been in this possible situation and then getting back onto my feet and then winning silver. That was the mental change that occurred and that shift. And, you know, to take people back, this is, by the way, this is 20 years ago, Jamie, where this happened. So, you know, this is, this is like, you know, 20 plus years also ago was the September 11, 2001 attacks on the World Trade Center in which this country was in a very chaotic and uncertain and volatile time. People didn't want to travel. They were uncertain of throwing big events. They were uncomfortable. Um, nothing felt normal. And we felt very, 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 very scared around kind of collaborating or corralling around these large events. And so I just remember being in those games and feeling like it was bigger than me, that we as Americans had always felt first and foremost that we were champions and we were the best and like brashly and, and almost, you know, like arrogantly so, like we'll win because we're American. That was like the thesis, right? That was the idea that, that existed. And then to be kind of brought to one knee after those attacks was a stark reminder of sometimes how vulnerable all of us are, um, nations included. And it was also a time at which I thought that I was the best and I thought I was arrogantly going to win these races. And I didn't. And to snap a finger, I could either have stayed down and blamed others and not rebuilt and not reinvented. Um, and by the way, short track speed skating is a true kind of you know, crash course masterclass on stoicism because it forces you to have introspection, reflection, but also reset after every single race. We have 20 minutes after every single race. And so if you don't get the result that you wanted and it was out of your control that you you couldn't have all these mechanisms that typically you would rely on, you have to surrender to that outcome. And by surrendering that outcome, it gives you real freedom to then go chase down the next path and the next race. And that's what sport has taught me, right? Um, time and time again was, was those instances. And um, that's what that race was to me, was this opportunity to either kind of, you know, spend the rest of my life angry about something that happened that I want a different result and or look at that race and say, this is something that can be celebratory. This is something that can be inspiring. This is something that I should be grateful and proud of. And then resetting my mind for the next race, as if that race never happened. Even though I had a cut in my leg and I was stitched up and we had like super glue because the stitches kept ripping open because of all the blood flow in my leg, right, when you skate and stuff. So all these things are just processes. And I think that perception of what's happening before us is within our control. Yeah, I think that's a good story for people to hear and to know that you can always get back up again and you may not get what you wanted right then and there, but there's something you can learn from it. You know, there's always a lesson to be learned for everything that we do I and mean, things that happen. 
um, I kind of got that from your book as well. You need to learn from those experiences and how you can change or pivot to make it to what your ultimate goal is. Is that correct? I mean, is that kind of what we're thinking here? So look, the book is about like embracing change and, and having a full understanding that change is going to happen and that life will give you all different types of challenges and struggles that at the time feels very unfair and that you're not ready for. And that's a part of the process. But um, to reframe our psychological approach to understanding, A, why we find change and behavioral change so difficult, which is rooted like in, in conditioning. And then two, also understanding that it first starts with, from within, right? Like we have to have that fire lit with, from within. And whatever the circumstance is, yes, we can reinvent and pivot, but it's it's up to the the person who's it's up to yourself, right? Like I I can say so much to someone even through this book, but if that person who's reading or that person who's going through their life consistently reverts back to the median of what feels normal and comfortable and safe, nothing changes, and that to me is perhaps the most dangerous of any situations. Because when you're not willing to embrace that change and you only want to stick to the existing blueprint, nothing will ever change. And so when you're seeking to achieve something extraordinary, it's going to take you to do something you've never done before. And that's hard. And another thing I was would like to know more on, like on the financial st- standpoint, I know you've done a lot of different things when in business and a lot of our listeners have as well and they're, or they're wanting to. What advice would you give to people who are trying to reach their financial goals, that be in real estate, it be investing or being an entrepreneur? What are some tips you would maybe give them? The lowest hanging fruit that I would offer to people is to do the deep work. So we live in an era that is profiting off of your inability to remain deeply focused. So every new opportunity, every new deal, every new distraction, every new shiny new path and career is always going to draw you away from something that perhaps you truly ultimately really want. It requires you to do the deep work. So if I was an Olympic athlete and I was trying to be an Olympic athlete in four different sports, summer, winter, I was trying to be a cyclist, a swimmer, a basketball player, and a speed skater, where do you think that that would lie in terms of me being the best speed skater that I could possibly be? Probably not very good. It's impossible, <laughs> nope. right? The same yeah. thing goes for your personal and professional career. So another thing I've noticed is, and I've been around some incredible experiences and hyper successful people from every single sector, real estate, infrastructure, construction, tech, software, hardware, manufacturing, CPG, venture capital, investing, hedge fund, trading, quant firms, teaching, software, e-commerce, influencers. Like I. So many people, I've had access to just amazing people in mind. And I'm going to tell you front and center, the grass is always greener on the other side because of where you are standing. And by the time you get to the other side where they're standing and you look back over to your grass, you're thinking, man, that grass looks a lot greener back over there. And then you're playing ping pong with yourself because you're never satisfied because the lens always looks different until you're in someone else's shoes. You never know what's really happening. So look, are there gonna be times when you're presenting with an, presented with an incredible opportunity to shift your career and reinvent and pivot? Absolutely. Will you take all of them? Probably not, 
Will you take some of them? Maybe. I, I don't know those answers. What I can tell you is that the formula has always been the same and that the work is the shortcut. And so when I go back and reverse engineer the process for me, the number one thing that I'd like to go back and tell myself as a younger self, um, if I wanted to make changes, would be surround yourself with people who push you and have your best interests. And that's, you know, I talk about that a bit in my book around kind of your personal board of directors, but also learning to live your life regardless of the stage at which your career in um, by pouring the cup out every single year and starting again, having the beginner's mind, relearning some of those old skills and tools that you thought that you had mastered. And that's what we did in skating. The, the things that I worked on in the 17th year of my career as an athlete were identical in the summer to what I did when I was 12 years old. They were actually technically the same things I was doing at the most simplistic of levels. I'm remastering those basic tools again. And so what I would tell myself as a younger person would be, don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to fail, um, obviously embrace, and then really and truly do the work necessary. Soak up that mentorship that is around you, understand and be fully dedicated because the lowest hanging fruit again is doing the most focused and deeps of, uh, deepest levels of work because most people aren't doing it, right? That's why the last mile is always the least crowded. Everyone in the beginning of January wants to create these beautiful, amazing vision boards and aspirations and dreams. And by the time we get to May, June and July and you're halfway through the year, most of those vision boards have started to decay both in memory and sentiment and emotion. You no longer feel the spark from looking at that vision board or that goal and dream because it had feel like it, it's no longer got the same feeling. You forgot about the importance of every second of every day being relentlessly driven towards this goal. Um, and, and, and a part of that's just deeply rooted in behavior. Your body and mind want to go back to what's normal. It doesn't want to be pushed all the time. It doesn't want to be in this yellow zone of being stretched and feeling uncomfortable like you don't have the answers. No one wants to go to a room feeling unprepared and that you're the least intelligent person. I can tell you, Jamie, I'm in uh -huh. that room all the time where <laughs> I feel like I am the least intelligent person all the time. And instead of saying like, this sucks, I say, I, you know, like I basically tell myself over and over, like, this is incredible. I'm surrounded by incredible minds. They're helping me grow. And I've got to find a way to provide value back to this group, back to this team time and time again. And that's how I feel in my current, pra my, my, my current path with the team that I'm at. Um, just incredible minds every single day. The cadence and speed at which they work, the hunger and dedication in which they have, and just the absolute level of intelligence uh, is, is beyond sometimes even my own understanding. So... Yeah, um, I, the, look, when, when people go through these processes and, and they're, they're wondering the best possible way to pivot and, and figure out how to go through life, um, I think that like, do the things in your life that can be sustainable and simple. It, it's kind of like when you want to do physical changes, right? Like diets, the more complex and hard it is to keep up with the diet, most likely you won't do it. But if you do something that is simple and easy and sustainable, the chances are statistically that you will stay on that much longer than anything else. And you want to do the same for any behavioral change. And as you start to master those and it starts to feel like the new norm, you then can get to a state where you feel, okay, I'm going to start adding additional layers and texture associated with this new goal.
I think that's some great advice and I'm actually going to utilize it because I always have a lot big goals at the first of the year. And after listening to you and also reading the book, it talked about it a little bit. I was like, okay, I need to make it obtainable and I need to find steps to get there. Right. And so that I can actually do it and look at the obstacles that I've had in the past and try to figure out ways to overcome those obstacles or I just like write it down and walk away from it. That goal. I think that's some really great advice. And I wanted to ask you one more question before we have to go. I ask all my guests this, and that is, what does live richer mean to you? When you hear that, what do you think when you hear <laughs> live richer? Uh, you know, I think of my dad, to be completely honest with you. And so representative of my dad and that story that you told, um, live richer is personal. And to me, it's about living those 86,400 seconds a day, not in a state of negativity where this like wild brain of mine is hijacking my attention to tell me that I'm less than and never going to be good enough and effectively handcuffed to always being a future self. Um, being and living richer, I believe, comes from within. And yes, does that have external goals and signals that society has given me around financial, around family, around happiness? Absolutely. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. But I think internally at the highest echelons of fulfillment and happiness, living richer comes from that joy of feeling like I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I think that, that I, talk of, I talk a lot about that in the book around purpose and alignment with seeking that inner truth and this conversation with yourself, with your God, with whatever it is that you want to align with and having that open conversation of what do you believe that this world or universe or God wants from you? And what do you want from this universe, world, or God for yourself? And, and hopefully those can match up. And I think that the more and more we can have this open, transparent conversation with ourselves, the more in, in tune we are with what we truly believe that we want and actually making that into what we believe we deserve. I totally agree with you. And I think that's some great advice. And for anyone who hasn't had the chance to read the book, they need to read it. We've only touched on a few of the things that this book talks about it truly helps a person if it be you're going through a divorce or any type of major change, a career change, like Apollo talks about in the book when he went from being an Olympic athlete and speed skater to completely changing his life and doing something different where he even put his gold medals in a drawer and where they live today. Correct, Apollo? And it's <laughs> <laughs> what you said and doing something different and going into business. So whatever it be. I would love to tell my read everyone listening that if you want to change, you can change. Um, never give up on your dreams. And remember, live richer. Thank you, Apollo. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Before you go, we'd love for you to subscribe to our show to catch all of our updates. Also, we want to hear from you. What are your burning questions about money and how to live your best life? Reach us at livericherpod at gobankingrates.com.